This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Justice is one of those things that we always want, but never feel like we deserve to face. Justice is for those criminal types who do unspeakable things to innocent people. But it's not for us good people. The late, great Dr. R.C. Sproul used to tell a story about the days when he was lecturing at college. When he started with this first original group of students, he made sure that all of them were very aware of, of the expectations of them. Every course comes with papers, with assignments. And he made sure that they knew that, that those papers would be have to be, all be handed in, three different ones, would have to be handed in on different dates. He was clear. He told them about the penalties. The idea of not handing in your paper in time was an F, a fail. And so the course went on. He had spent about a month lecturing, and, and the first due date came up. And diligent students came forth with their papers and handed them to Dr. Sproul. But there was a few students who, in the course of the semester, had gotten caught up in other things. It happens. And they came to Dr. Sproul. Oh, Dr. Sproul, we we just got caught up in the life of things. We got too busy and, and, and we don't have our paper here today. Please have mercy on us, oh good man. And Dr. Sproul, being a kind and generous person, he said to them, look... Your new students, it's okay. I'll give you a day or two to finish the assignment. Just get it to me. And they did. And they all sang the praises of Dr. Sproul. Oh, Dr. Sproul, what a wonderful lecturer you are. And then came time for the second assignment. You probably know what happened. Uh, By now, a few students had heard that Dr. Sproul was perhaps a little bit lenient. And so there were more students that were without their paper. And they came to Dr. Sproul and they said, Dr. Sproul, please have mercy on us. We, we, just, we just got caught up in things and we don't have our paper here today. But if you give us a day or two, if you're a little bit lenient, we'll get it to you. We're, we're sorry. And Dr. Sproul, being a kind and generous man, allowed them the day or two extra. But by the time of the third assignment, the final assignment, which is often the one with the most amount of marks and the most amount of works, near on half of the class had decided to turn up on the due date without the paper. And they sang their song, like, Dr. Sproul, you're a wonderful, generous man. Just, just relax, we'll get it to you in a day or two. And Dr. Sproul took his marking book out and he began to read out the names. And he, he came to the first name and he said, do you have your paper? And they said, no, we don't have it. I'll get it to you in a couple of days. And he said, F. And he came to the next student. Do you have your paper? No. F. And so on and so forth. He came to the third student. Do you have your paper here today? No. F. Now, this student was a little bit bolder. He spoke up and he says, that's not fair. But Sproul, being a wise man, one who had, uh, had been around the traps for a little while, said, fair. Fair. Johnny, is it? You also didn't have your second assignment in on time. F. 
See, fair is not what you want. Justice is not what you want. You want grace and mercy. I have been merciful to you. But mercy, what mercy has meant is that more and more of you have turned up without an assignment. The problem is, is spreading. You're not owed grace and mercy. What you're owed is what is just and what is fair. And so he went through and he, he marked the rest of the students that were not there with a fail. And they, they would have failed that course. And that's what was just. What was just is what they deserved, and that is what they got. R.C. Sproul owed them no grace, no mercy. He gave them everything that they needed in order to make sure that they could fulfill the requirements. And they didn't. And the problem was is that it was creating laziness and tardiness, and, and, and it was actually completely unfair on the students that were being diligent and were doing the things that they had to do. Justice is always what is fair. When you think of God's judgment, wrath, condemnation, how do you feel? How does it make you feel? You're scared? Angry? Confused? Hopeful? All of these things are wrapped up in the justice of God. Certainly, there are many issues around that will bring God's justice. And it is difficult, surely, to reconcile the fact that God is wrathful, but also described as, as loving. In fact, God is said to be love in 1 John 4, 8. But there's no contradiction there. Love demands justice. Imagine if you know, you're married, you're out with your spouse, you see somebody out with their spouse, and somebody comes up and attacks the, the husband's wife. Imagine at that moment if he went, ah, it's okay. You know, I, I just want to be kind, I, I want to be the kind of person that shows love equally to everybody. The problem is, everybody would automatically recognize that as actually an unloving act. If he didn't rise up in the defense of his wife, there, there's neither justice nor love. When injustice happens, the loving thing to do is to respond. Imagine if, if the, the injustice that occurs to the wife, the, the, the husband didn't actually ring the police, he, he didn't follow the court system or the process. We wouldn't see that as a loving act. We would see that as something that was unloving towards the wife. If, if, a man's husband, if a man's wife is attacked, we know that the reasonable, just thing to do is to rise up in the defense of his wife. The world thinks small things about sin. Small thoughts. But sin is responsible for every evil and every suffering that exists in the world today, and in all times past. Every sin we commit is a declaration of war against a holy God. It's cosmic treason. It is us saying, we are, to ha we are happy to destroy this very world, and, and its good order, and everything in it, everything that God gave us. We're, we're happy to do that. 
because we would rather that than have God as our Lord. We would rather take the good things that were given to us as a gift and the good order that was given to us in creation by a loving God and use it in such a way as to destroy it and abuse it than let God have Lord over us and our life. That's what sin is. When we think about sin in that way, it is worse than anything else that could be done to a husband's wife. Imagine, if you will, if, if Australia tomorrow, if the, if the government declared war on the US and started sending bombers over to harm America. Would there be any serious person that would blame the US for shooting down the planes, destroying our military infrastructure, and coming over and invading our country to make sure that it would never happen again? Everybody would look at that as a just act. We were the ones who declared war on them, as foolish as that would be. Sin is us declaring war on God. And it is far more harmful than sending a few bombers over to destroy America. God, if He is loving, He must rise up in justice. In fact, that's actually the cry. That's the cry from the saints in the fifth seal. If you have a look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, it says, they say, these are, these are the saints under the throne of God, under the altar of God. They call out in a loud voice and they say, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long, O Lord? Why are you delaying justice? They recognize that God is a God of love and, and therefore because he loves, he, he loves them. And there's been a great injustice. All of us want justice. Every time somebody does something to you and you, you feel that thing rise up within you and you go, that's not fair. That's you saying, I want justice. If you think of all of the travesties and all of the, the terrible things that have happened in the world, all of the crimes that people have gotten away with, if you think about the wars and the murders, if you think about the great, the, those Hitler types that have destroyed millions of people, all of these things demand justice. And we know that deep within, within us. We know that justice must happen. That's the loving thing that God can do. And that's what these saints under the throne of God see. See, they've been caught up in the first four seals, the destruction of the world, the, the thing that had reigned ever since Christ went up to be with his father and had the right to open the seals. When he opened those seals and history began to unravel and those four horsemen went out and they began to terrorize and to, and to, and to bring calamity on the world, that was done in judgment of sin. And we see that right now. We actually see that going on in our world today. The list is there. War. That's what takes away peace from the world. Famine. Natural disaster. 
These are the things that are outlaid throughout the four seals, done in judgment against sin. But what about the saints? Surely they're not being judged. We, we spoke about this last week. No, God is not judging the saints, but he is using all of these things at the same time to purify the saints. But judgment must come. The problem is that we recognize that if God is to bring justice to sinners then we are worthy of justice. And justice is worthy of judgment. That's the great problem. What's incredible is not that God judges the world, but that he has been so patient. God certainly has a purpose for his patience, though. The saints rightly cry out to God, How long, O Lord? Well, how much longer are we going to wait? Look at, the, look at the response in verse 11. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and their sisters, were killed just as they had been. Peter puts it another way in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some count slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's being patient. We call this forbearance. Have you ever been sinned against and, and you know that, that there's justice that needs to come of it, but you have to delay for a little while? It's just not appropriate in that moment for you to respond. It wouldn't be the right thing to do. That's forbearance. All of us go through that. When people sin against us and, and we don't go for revenge, that's forbearance. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Something that all of us should want to grow in. God is being forbearant to us. He's being forbearant to the world. He's waiting patiently for the day that He has set. He's certainly set a day. It's coming. Make no mistake about that. That day is coming. And in fact, it's not just coming. It's coming in answer to the prayer of the saints. I want to look at that in a moment. But think back to R.C. Sproul and his students. He was kind, merciful, patient. But that's not what the students were owed. And they took his patience, kindness, and mercy for weakness. We see that in the world today. People wondering where God is. God's delayed. Ultimately, I can get away with the things that I can get away with. As long as, as, long as no human court finds out, I'm okay. Actually, no. God sees everything. He sees the very thoughts of our mind. He knows the motivations of our heart. He's not fooled. He's not tricked. In fact, humans are so sinful that just like R.C. Sproul's students, the kindness is taken, taken granted of and, and, and used as a cause for more sin. 
That's why God must respond. Justice must prevail in this world. Jesus is the only rightful judge of the world. Is he to be less honourable and righteous than a university lecturer? Surely not. We see in the sixth seal the answer to the prayer of the saints. The prayer of how long, O Lord, when we see the destruction of the world from an earthly perspective. The sixth seal is open and there's a great earthquake. The sun turns black. The moon turns blood red. Stars fall from the sky. Fig trees drop and die in the, in the strong winds. Heaven rolls back like a scroll. And the wealthy and the powerful go looking for a place to hide. If we look over at chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, we see the seventh seal opened. The seventh seal describes the exact same thing as the sixth seal. But the sixth seal describes it from an earthly perspective. While the seventh seal takes it from the perspective of heaven. And notice the very first thing that comes. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence. Silence is the greatest judgment of God. As long as God keeps talking, as long as God keeps giving revelation, everything is okay. I feel like that's not much different to my wife. I know I've really done something wrong if there's silence. Don't be a pastor's wife. Silence. You know the, the, the psalm, Psalm 46.10? It says, be still and know that I am God. So often people take that in the complete wrong way. As if, people, as if God's saying, be still, it's okay, everything's all right. Go back and look at the psalm. It's a, it's a text about war. It's God saying to his enemies, silence. That's how bad judgment is going to be. For 400 years, not a prophet came before Jesus. The greatest act of judgment is silence. When the seventh seal is opened, the, the, the judgment that's going to come, that's going to flow, the heavenly beings know and they fall silent. These ones who spend their time worshipping around the throne room of God, that's their very job. The seventh seal opens and they gasp because they know what's coming. Half an hour, there's silence. And then one, this, there are seven angels and those seven angels stand before God and they're given seven trumpets. And that's actually unpacked in the next text. But for now, think Jericho. Think Jericho out of Joshua 5 through, chapter 5 through 6. Not real great when they march around seven times and they blow their trumpets seven times. It's what's pictured. But what's really incredible, remember I said that 
the judgment that comes, comes as a response to prayer, the prayer of the saints. That's what we see in verse 3 through 5. And then another angel who stood had a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on a golden altar in front of the throne. The smoking of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. We've actually already looked at this. Have a look at Revelation 5.8. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each one had a harp, and they were, gold, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. It's an incredible thing to think that part of the incense is the prayer. That which is offered to God is your prayers, is my prayers, is the prayers of God's people. In, in chapter 5, it's a beautiful image. It's, it's basically saying, you see how valuable your prayers are, even your imperfect prayers. They, they come up to God and they are offered to God as, as incense, as worship. They're valuable. By the time we get to chapter 8, it's something different entirely. The smoke of the incense, verse 4, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. And there came pearls of thunder, rumbling flashes of lightning and earthquake. The destruction that we see in the sixth censer, the sixth seal, we find out is actually coming about because of the prayer of the saints being hurled. That which was originally used as worship from that same place, the angel takes the censer and hurls it to the earth. Justice. The prayers of the saints are answered. Thankfully, not only is God just, but he is also merciful. What we should never do is we should never think about the attributes of God and try to pit them up against one another. Oh, well, when I think of God, I think about a loving God, one who just wants to be with his people and have relationship. When I think of God, I think of a holy God, one who will put up with nothing, one who brings wrath and judgment. God is these things, and they reveal something about who he truly is. But the reality is that God is perfect in all of his attributes. You cannot pit one against the other without taking something away. So because God is love, he brings justice. Because God is love, he is merciful and kind. But we know that love demands justice. We've said that over and over again. And it is sobering to get a reality of our sin. To come and see that if God is loving, he must be just. And to see that our sin, our own personal sin, is part of the problem of the world. It's sobering. It's worth dwelling on for a moment. 
It's not only those criminal types that are worthy of justice. It's our sin. God in his mercy, though, came up with a way to be just and loving and merciful and kind. In his infinite wisdom. This is the good news. In chapter 7, verse 9, we're told that after this, I looked and there were before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. We're given a little bit more detail about these people in verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The cross is the greatest display of both God's love and also the greatest display of God's wrath and justice. In that one picture, we see what God thinks about sin as well as what he thinks about sinners. It's a personal offense to me when people start trying to come up with other ways to God. Because when you look at the cross, you see how far God actually had to go in order to offer salvation. Our Lord was hung on the cross and crucified. That's how serious sin is. When you look at Jesus, when you think about him on the cross, you see how serious God takes sin. So serious that Jesus should have to die for it. Now, this is, this is not the Father versus Jesus. Jesus did this willingly. Certainly, the Father seeks satisfaction in the death of Jesus for our sin. But Jesus came willingly and offered himself for us. He knew that this was what he had to do in order for our sins to be atoned for and for us to have peace with God. Paul puts it another way in Romans 3.26. He said, it, it, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Those saints are saints because they are wearing white and they washed their garments in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what's necessary. That is how God can be both just and justifier to us, to his people. Not because he doesn't look at their sin or he doesn't know that their sin is, is not sinful. Not because our sin is not heinous and a cosmic treason against a good, loving and merciful God but their robes are white because Jesus washed them clean. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. Maybe this is the first time you have thought deeply about your sin. The just response would not be good 
you don't want justice. Nobody will be able to stand before God condemned and say, that's not fair. It is fair. The reality is that the greatest of all of us would stand before God and recognize the fairness of the consequences that would come down to them. What's beautiful is that God made a way through Jesus Christ that those who have faith in Jesus can be justified justly. Faith is the way made by Jesus. That's the path. It's, it's simply trusting that what Jesus has done is enough. And, and we see in the book of Revelation that it's enough. Not only does everything that Jesus done enough to be able to open the seals and unravel history, it's enough to wash even the dirtiest rags white. There's a paradox there, isn't there? The scarlet blood of Jesus washing us white as snow. By faith. That's our just response. God has been just in all that he does. He's been just in the punishment of Jesus in our place. It's just to forgive us because of Jesus. And so if you're there and you're thinking about your sin and you're recognizing the danger that hangs over you because of the justice of God, if you're recognizing that It's true, if I fall into the hands of God as I am right now, I would be judged a sinner. Run to Jesus. Jesus has done all that is necessary in order to wash you clean. There is nothing that you can do. Jesus has done enough to forgive anyone who comes to him. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to have confidence. This is, supposed to, this is supposed to strengthen you. Sin is not a reason to run and hide. Rather, it's a reason to run to Jesus who can make you clean. Both of these things require repentance. The repentance of the unbeliever is to come and respond to the, to the offer of the gospel. Come and say, it's true, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you. But Christians are supposed to live a life of repentance as well. Knowing that God is being merciful to us. He's being patient with us. But that our sin is still contributing to the destruction of this world. Is Jesus your rightful judge or is he your saviour? That's what the Apostle John would want you to think through right now. Do I have faith in Jesus? but do I have him as my judge? Let's pray.